Today on the Matt Wall Show, Joe Biden was already having the worst presidential term in American history, and that was before Russia invaded Ukraine, bringing us closer to World War III. And it's not a coincidence that this has happened after Biden spent his first year in office focusing primarily on wokeness and intentionally making our military weaker and more feminine. So we'll talk about that today. Also, Canada proposes legislation that will allow people to report hate speech before it happens. So Brave New World meets the Minority Report in Canada, plus a trucker convoy heads to D.C. I have my reservations about this one, and I'll explain. Also, a writer for New York Magazine says that parents who insist on parental rights are actually household tyrants. And finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll look at the fat acceptance activist who says that dieting is a form of conversion therapy. Yes, all of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. As inflation continues, it's important to keep your budget and financial goals top of mind. Think about the things that you can do today to come out ahead, like refinancing your mortgage. If it's not on your to-do list, it should be because you could be paying a lot less for your home right now. And I know just the people to help. American Financing, a family-owned mortgage lender that's known for its custom home loans and its no-pressure approach to lending from lower rates to shorter terms and even debt consolidation. They do whatever it takes to set you up for financial success. They could help you save up to $1,000 a month plus tens of thousands long-term. So why not learn more? If you start soon, you may get to skip two payments and could close in as little as 10 days on top of that. So you're saving a lot of money in the long run. You're also saving money, which is great, in the short term uh, because you get to skip a couple of those payments as well. There is no downside to at least giving them a call, which you can do at 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Give them a call today or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Well, uh, on second thought, maybe it wasn't such a good idea to make a dementia patient president. It wasn't a good idea on first thought either, but you know, here we are. With Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the war drums beating louder than ever in the West, potentially inching us closer to a third world war, we can definitively say, though we could have said it before this point, that no president in American history has done this much damage this quickly. Now, we live in an age of hyperbole when every bad thing is the worst thing ever and every bad person is literally Hitler and every politician we don't like is the worst politician ever and also literally Hitler. One of the consequences of all this exaggeration is that we have no way to sufficiently describe people and things that really are historically bad. And in this case, it actually is true that Joe Biden is so far the worst president in American history and the competition isn't very close. I mean, the gap between second and third worst is much smaller than the gap between second worst and Joe Biden, worst of all. He has been a disaster on every front, in every way, from every conceivable angle. And the worst thing about him being the worst is that it was all totally foreseeable. We knew that he's an elderly man losing control of his mental faculties. We knew that his handlers are far-left ideologues and slimy, soulless grifters and con artists. We knew that his administration would put wokeness before all else. He's done mostly what he said he would do, even if he doesn't remember saying it. And it's as bad as we knew it would be or should have known. Today, some of those things loom especially large, like the fact that, for example, Joe Biden shut down the Keystone Pipeline and destroyed any hope of American energy independence. In fact, the whole Western world abandoned that goal over the last couple of years, largely because an annoying little Swedish girl yelled at us about it. So we said, okay, well, never mind. Forget about energy. Now we import 20 million barrels of oil from Russia every month with no plan in place to replace that production once the spigot is turned off. 
Biden made sure that we were dependent upon our adversaries for survival, while also making sure that our adversaries won't respect or fear us. A lethal combination, as we're seeing. This morning, I've been thinking a lot about one of Biden's very first acts while in office. One of the very first things he did. You know, he shut down Keystone. But even before that, one of the first things he did was to invite a flamboyant social media influencer to the White House to film a TikTok skit. Let's go back and uh, relive that one together. One sec. Democracy's calling. <laughs> See you, Daddy. Bye. Hi, my name is Cooper, and this is a day in my life as a White House intern. We did a joke. <laughs> hey, everyone. Vogue. Usually, I start off with a big coffee. Sorry, they're like really strict in here. Hey, Jenny, I booked you a nail appointment, love. Yeah, I didn't tell you to do that. It's called initiative. <laughs> Hi, White House, this is Cooper. Mm, I don't think so. Oh, doesn't matter. This is actually the entrance to the West Wing. This is so fun and it's really prestigious. Hey, POTUS. Is Olivia Rodrigo still here? No. We've come a long way in our fight against this virus. We've vaccinated 160 million Americans. Are you getting this all down? Don't worry, Queen. It's all right here. Cooper. Sorry, Miss Jen. And Jen, don't forget to have fun. Spirit fingers, mama. We need to get shots in the arms of every single American. I'm heading to a haircut. Comment if you want me to make more of these. Russia and China are not exactly quaking in their boots when they see that, except from hysterical laughter. Not the kind of laughter you want. Worse, this administration has wokeified our national defense apparatus and bragged about doing it. I mean, who can forget the CIA ads trying to entice new recruits by promising gay acceptance and rainbow flags? Or what about, what about the army recruitment ad that looked like an actual Disney princess movie, complete with uh, singing and, and all of that? Or the recruitment ad, again, aimed at women, but featuring a female gay rights activist with two moms. Let's go back uh, today and, and watch that one again. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again, but she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. You notice there, of course, that the army is presented uh, not as something that you join to defend your country and kill bad guys, but as a, um, an opportunity for self-discovery. You know, just like along the lines of a sorority girl studying abroad in Italy or climbing Mount Everest. I mean, how could Putin do what he's doing right now? Doesn't he know that Western countries have the most diverse, equitable, tolerant, and trans-inclusive militaries in the history of the world? 
and he's still messing with us? Wow. I mean, it's almost like we're nothing but a joke at this point. Just this month, a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, this month, the Defense Department official website ran this article. This, again, was this month. Um, Diversity, equity, inclusion are necessities in the U.S. military. That's the headline. And it says, in part, diversity, equity, inclusion in the military are necessities for the United States. Bishop Garrison, the senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense for Human Capital and Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, said, Garrison spoke to the Center for a New American Security today about the progress being made by the department and what still needs to happen. Some 41% of the military identify as members of minority groups, and that, that number will grow larger, Garrison said. The military must be able to attract, train, and retain them for the services to retain competitive edges, he said. Garrison said, the need for diversity, equity, and inclusion to be consideration or a part of all decisions in the military. Diversity, equity, and inclusion have to be a part of all decisions in the military. There is a direct line connecting this kind of madness with what we're witnessing overseas right now. We advertised weakness. We bragged about it. We announced to the world repeatedly that we are now a theocratic state, but our religion is wokeness. And it's less a religion than a death cult, a suicide pact. We give up our own energy production for its sake. We weaken our defenses for it. We will take institutions that were once killing machines and repurpose them to prioritize equity and inclusion. Did did we think that Putin wouldn't notice that? Now, blame Putin for invading Ukraine, sure. He's the one doing it. But once you're done pointing that finger and you feel a little better, get it out of your system. I think it's time to conduct a much more painful and necessary investigation of ourselves and our country and our government. Because war and conquest have been the way of the world since the dawn of man. That will always be the case. If you thought you were living in a day and age where that's behind us and it doesn't happen anymore, then you're a fool. You're just like the people who, you know, were shocked when a pandemic hit. It's, oh, I didn't know this kind of thing still happens. Of course it happens. It's always going to happen. There are diseases in the world. Sometimes there will be one particular disease that lots of people get at the same time. So we've we've had two things in the last few years that we were shocked by, even though there's no excuse to be shocked. Because these things happening, it just puts us right in line with everybody else who's ever lived on Earth. Now, it doesn't make it good or right. certainly doesn't make it fun or enjoyable. It just makes it what, what is. It makes it reality. We can choose to operate within reality or without, you know, on the outside of it. Biden and the left choose to be outside of reality. In a place where there is no more war and nobody wants to conquer anything and everybody gets along. And so we can set out to fill our military with lesbians who can't do three push-ups. Why not? This is also the world where climate change is the greatest threat we face. So we can shut down our oil pipelines pipelines because a 15-year-old environmentalist made us feel bad. And no negative consequences will come of it, we think. That's the world the left wants to pretend we live in. Until the real world comes crashing through the barrier. The sort of wall of delusion they've erected around themselves. And when that happens, what do they do? They start pointing the blame everywhere and at everything and everybody but themselves. And they also, as they've been doing, especially over the past couple of days, call for us to unite and come together. So just today, uh, Senator Brian Schatz, who has a, a last name that I'll never not find funny, uh, tweeted this. He says, 
It is more essential than ever that we rally around our president as he leads the free world in response. If your instinct is to try to turn this into a partisan political advantage or a viral tweet, step off the stage. Rally around Joe Biden? That can't happen because though we've listed lots of the bad things Biden has done, we haven't mentioned the worst one of all. He has intentionally cast his own people as the enemy. He has set his sights on chasing down and punishing right-wingers and those who disagree with him. He's labeled parents at school board meetings domestic terrorists. And now the domestic terrorists are supposed to rally around him? We're the enemy, right? That's what he said. I mean, we're scum. We're the greatest threat to the safety of this country. And yet now he needs our support? Now that he needs us, we're Americans. But when he doesn't need us anymore, we're, we're, we go back to being, ra- being rabid dogs that have to be caged or put down. You know, the left is a lot like a drunken, abusive husband who sobers up for three hours and expects affection and cheerfulness from his wife. Hey, honey, I haven't, I haven't beat you in three, in three hours. What's the big deal? Now, we say of women who go along with that that uh, they have battered wife syndrome. What the left wants from us now is a sort of political battered wife syndrome. But that's not how this works. You said that we're the enemy. You hate us. We're Nazis and terrorists. You shouldn't want our help or support. And anyway, you won't have it. Biden made this bed, and now he'll have to lay in it on his own. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, you might not realize this, but 85% of the grass-fed beef in the United States is imported from overseas. So this is a problem that we're seeing quite a lot um, now, is that we're we're bringing things in from overseas rather than producing them here. Here's the catch. These foreign products are often labeled product of USA since they're minimally processed here, even though they're not really made here. So don't pay a premium for low-quality foreign meat. Good Rancher sells 100% American meat and they deliver it to your door for a great price. They only sell 100% American meat sourced from local American farms. Their beef is prime and upper choice, the highest quality possible. They've got ribeyes, T-bones, New York strips, and more. I've had them all, and they're all delicious. Plus, their packaging makes it easy to cook uh, what you want and save the rest, which keeps you from wasting anything as well. So head on over to goodranchers.com walsh. Today, to solve your meat problem once and for all, get the transparency, the quality, the cuts that you've been craving. Order now with code Walsh to get $30 off your box. Now's the time to support American farms and ranches. They're hurting and you're hungry, so you could kill two birds with one stone here and uh, get a box of American meat delivered. Whoever buys the meat in your house needs to go to goodranchers.com slash Walsh today. So uh, last night, you can imagine how fun this was for me. We had a uh, dog trainer come to the house to help us figure out why the dog hates me and barks at me all the time. Um, because, I mean, it's always a mystery. Why, how could anybody hate me? And, uh, but especially the dog. I mean, why is the dog such an ungrateful brat that he eats my food, uh, lives under my roof, while barking and growling at me like any other entitled member of Generation Z? That was the question. So we had the trainer come. She was great. She was uh, very competent, very friendly, very professional, very good at what she was doing, knew what she was doing. But but it was it was like an hour and a half. And mostly we, w- we were talking to her, you know, the whole time because she was trying to, to, to you know, f- find out about the dog and figure all this stuff out. And so it's like this long interview process about the dog. And it, it's the longest I've ever spent talking about a dog in my entire life. And most of the conversation consisted of us describing the dog's behavior 
and then uh, and then and then giving our interpretation of that behavior, and then her politely explaining that we're totally wrong in our interpretation. So, like for example, my wife does this thing where she uh, that she likes uh, that she thinks is very cute, where she'll start singing, and then the dog will will run into the room and kind of like jump up on her as she's singing, and she she has interpreted this as the dog wants to dance with her. And I was always skeptical of that interpretation. I didn't have the heart to say anything. So she told this to the trainer and the trainer had no compunction about it. She said, oh, no, no, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, he probably just doesn't like it when you sing. He's trying to tell you to stop. So anyway, what we learned um, after the dog whisperer conducted her pet psychic seance is that the dog lacks confidence and he has a self-esteem issue. And, um, and can you imagine, again, just imagine me sitting there for an hour and a half listening to this about a dog's self-esteem issues. And we have to build up his self-esteem. And of course, I'm sitting there thinking like, why, why is that my problem? Well, why can't the dog just suck it up? What does he want from me? Oh, you have a self-esteem problem, dog? Yeah, join the club. We all do. You don't see me barking at people because of it. I guess I sort of do in my own way, but still. Um, but here's the upshot. Good news. According to the trainer, um, because the dog lacks confidence around me especially and is, is getting adjusted to us and he's getting settled in, what that means is that for the foreseeable future, I've been instructed to ignore the dog. Like, don't pet him. Don't, don't, don't be the one feeding him. Don't take him out for any walks. Don't take him out at night like I had been doing. So don't do any chores related to the dog. That's what she said. That is what she said. I have to give the dog space. That's my instruction. And so as hard as it will be for me to do nothing at all, that's what I'll do. You know, I have to do nothing and have my wife do everything as far as the dog's concerned. It's what she recommends. You know, it's not what I want. It's what she said. And I, for one, think we need to take her recommendations very seriously. And I kind of explained to my wife after the trainer left. I said, you know, I think this woman knows what she's talking about. Um, she really seemed to have it together. She said I shouldn't do anything. And, I, you know, it pains me. Because of how much I love the dog and I want to bond with the dog and I want to help you, but I just, I can't. I have to do nothing. And I also explained that, you know, I, I probably should, again, just because I'm concerned about the dog. I mean, things like she wanted me to take the trash out after the trainer left. And I said, I probably shouldn't do that because that means that I'm leaving and coming back in. It always upsets the dog when I walk in the door and it, it hurts his confidence, his self-esteem. I don't want to do that. You know, putting the kids down for bed at night. I probably should just not. I probably should just sit on the couch and watch TV. I probably shouldn't be doing that. I'm moving around too much. So, you know, it's it's all about the dog. And I am here to help the dog by doing nothing for him at all. Okay, let's uh, start here from the uh, post-millennial. By the way, one other point about that. I, I, have, I have mentioned these dog problems on the show a few times. And I've gotten a lot of advice in the comment section. And, you know, I'm not saying who's right and who's wrong, but I will tell you, I, I didn't say where I got, the, I didn't tell the trainer that I got that prior to this, I'd been doing things that I learned from YouTube comments, but the trainer did say, I don't mean to throw you guys under the bus, but she, she did say that all of that advice was terrible. So, and I agree because most of the other advice involved me doing things. So that's from the post-millennial. It says proposed hate speech legislation in Canada would allow people to take others to court if they suspect that someone will post content deemed hateful online. Will post. Bill C-36 states that a person may, with the Attorney General's consent, lay an information before a provincial court judge if the person fears on reasonable grounds that another person will commit an offense under Section 318 or Subsection 3, 319, which is uh, about inciting or promoting hate or promoting hatred. 
It also covers, quote, an offense motivated by bias, prejudice, or hate based on race, national, or ethnic origin, language, color, religion, sex, age, mental or physical disability, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, or any other similar factor. So those are the reasons that you're, you're, you're not allowed to hate someone for any of those reasons. But you, you can still hate them, and you can even say that you hate them. It's just there are specific reasons why you're not. So there, there's a category of reasons that are not acceptable for hating somebody, and then there's a category that still is acceptable. So you can um, hate someone just because of who they are. And this is something I've never quite understood. Like, if I'm going to be hated by another person, and you might argue that perhaps there are a few people, a few people out there who do hate me. And if, if I could choose between being hated because of my skin color or my gender or something, or being hated because of just who I am at a deep and personal level, I think I would, I would prefer the skin color and gender-based hatred because it doesn't go as deep, Right? So if anything, that that would that to me, that's not as insulting. That's not nearly as insulting. Because then I'm just getting lumped in with everybody else who shares this feature. It's not my fault that I have this characteristic. And so if you hate me for that reason, that's kind of like your problem. But if you say, no, I, I it's, not it's not because of that. I just hate who you are. I hate, I hate everything about you down to your soul. That's what it is. That to me, it's, that's going to hurt a little bit more. So I've never quite understood why that's the kind of hatred. That's the kind of bigotry that's acceptable. You could say, oh, I, I really hate you. Oh, do you hate me because of my, is it because of my skin color? No. Is it because of my gender? No. Oh, it's fine then. I, that I don't get. Um, going back to the article, it says, Diversity Minister Ahmed Hussein reintroduced the legislation after events that transpired in Ottawa in which a very small number of individuals at the Freedom Convoy uh, protest allegedly carried hateful symbols, including swastikas. Ahmed called the, the symbols reprehensible and said that the government would reintroduce the bill that died when the election was called last year. He said, seeing symbols of hate right across the doorstep of our parliament, parliament is unbelievable and should be condemned. Now, this does raise another question. Oh, well, it's a, many questions are raised. Like, another one is, and it, it actually is not explained, how could you report this stuff before it happens? I mean, it's bad enough to have hate speech laws on the books. How are you reporting it before it happens? Is this minority report? Do you have uh, psychics that you that you have hooked up to tubes in some kind of weird petroleum jelly? Is it, that was, am I thinking of the right movie? Yeah, that's in that movie, which never made a lot of sense to me, by the way, because it's like set in the future and they have this technology. You'd think they have technology to read the future or to, to know what's going to happen in the future, but instead they have these psychics that they've, they don't really explain that. But anyway, is that is that how you're finding out that someone's going to, post-hate speech in the future? That really isn't explained. And the other question is, well, how do you, how do you define hate? And how do you determine it? Because hatred is a motivation that is based within a person's heart, right? It's, it's deep within them. So how could you possibly know whether someone is hateful or not? Well, it does say this. It doesn't provide a clear-cut definition of what hate is, but instead says that, quote, Hatred means the emotion that involves detestation or vilification and that is stronger than dislike or disdain. Oh, I mean, silly me. I thought disdain and hatred were kind of the you know, synonyms. Loathing someone, disdaining them, hating them. I kind of thought that was sort of the same thing. 
But no, it's, it's one step above disdain or dislike or even strong dislike. So does that mean that according to the law, you can strongly dislike someone for their sexual orientation, gender, or race? You just can't hate them. Does that become a, a valid defense in the court of law when you're bringing in a, you know, a, a perpetrator of alleged hate speech? Can he defend himself by saying, no, I don't, I don't uh, hate this person because of the race. I just strongly dislike it. This is the total absurdity that you immediately descend into when you try to have laws against hate of, of any kind for any reason. There's no way to know what's going on inside someone's heart. Um, and, and also, there's, there's no reason why hatred should be considered the worst thing. I mean, so we take, um, what about a hate crime? You know, Canada has more hate speech laws than we have, but we both have this category of hate crime. And if you commit a, a hate crime, then that's a, that's, an, that's a federal charge. And now that's going to be a, a worse sentence that you get. Um, now, the things that are done, you know, if you kill someone and it's allegedly a hate crime, well, obviously the, the, the murder, if you're murdering an innocent person, you should go to jail for that. But we've decided quite arbitrarily that the worst reason to kill somebody is because you hate them. And so there should be a, sometimes a quite significant extra sentence. It's a whole extra crime that you get charged for if you murder them for hate. But why is that the case? Because for one thing, if you kill someone, they're just as dead no matter the reason for it. Um, but also, probably the majority of murders, the murders that, that, that happen, you know, between strangers, majority of murders and, and kind of violence happen in domestic disputes and that sort of thing. But um, if we're talking about a, a stranger murdering somebody else, you know, many of those murders are, are not grounded in hate. They're grounded in just b- basic indifference to human life. So if you read of a case in the city where someone gets shot in the head uh, for the $5 in their wallet, well, that's, that's not a hate crime because the reason that they were killed was for the $5, not because of the person's race. And so our emphasis on hate crimes in our system of law will say that, well, that's, that's bad, but it's not as bad as it could have been. Uh, I, I would say it's, it's at least as bad. You know, killing someone because you want to take $5 from them and killing them because you don't like the way they look, I would put them at least on par. And if anything, uh, the former is, is maybe even worse. Murder out of pure indifference. I don't even care about you enough to hate you. I'm going to kill you for the $5 because your life just means nothing to me. I, 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 don't, even, I don't have the energy to hate you. That's a step up from how I feel about you. You, you, are, you are just nothing to me. You're dirt. So many murders, especially in the, uh, the inner cities, are, are motivated by that total indifference to human life. So why shouldn't we have a special category for that? Make that its own federal charge. It just becomes absurd. Um, but again, it also requires, in order to, to, to parse all these things, well, was it uh, total indifference to human life? Was it hatred? Was it dislike? Was it disdain? 
It requires you to, to peer inside somebody's soul and make these determinations, which you just can't do. All right, this is from USA Today. It says, as many as 700 National Guard members are prepared to take posts across the nation's capital amid planned trucker protest convoys that organizers say could paralyze the city without entering it. Um, Bob Bolas, a Pennsylvania truck driver, says he's leading the free Freedom Convoy of trucks from Pennsylvania to Washington on Wednesday. But um, he told NBC4 TV in Washington that he has backed off immediate plans to gridlock the Capitol Beltway. Um, and uh, he says, for right now, they're not shutting the traffic down. But he says, quote, if we don't have a resolution from the government to the rights that they're taking from us, I will predict in the future it will get shut down. So the convoy is is headed to uh, D.C. And it's they want to arrive right in time, basically, for the State of the Union. And... That's an interview with one of the organizers, but we have here a clip. This is uh, someone else who also identifies themselves as one of the leaders and organizers of the um, of this trucker convoy that's coming to D.C. And here he is explaining, you know, what it is. And, and I guess because one question I have when I when I first heard about a trucker convoy being or, organized in the United States to go to D.C. is like, is like, well, okay, what what are they trying to accomplish? We we know about the truckers in Canada and why that convoy happened and what what their demands were, right? What they were um, rallying for. But why the trucker protest here? Well, let's listen to uh, what this guy says. Maybe he'll explain it. This message is for the president of the United States of America. My name is Kyle Sefcik of the Freedom Convoy USA 2022. And our routes meet here in DC on March 1st in time for your State of the Union address. We are very organized and our routes are public. I even pulled a permit for the National Mall to be respectful. I just want to be as transparent as possible from the start so there's no confusion. We are coming peacefully and we're going to do this lawfully and constitutionally. I want the rest of the world to know our plans so that there's no twisting and lying about who and what we are. I'm coming to you as a father, a small business owner who's unaffiliated to any parties. We just want government overreach to end. On behalf of Freedom Convoy USA 2022, we are asking you to end the state of emergency end the mandates once and for all. Sir, the world is watching us because they know that if what's happening in Canada happens to us here in the land of the free, then freedom as we know it is gone. Yeah, I gotta, t- I gotta be totally honest with you and I might be going out on a limb here. I'm not sure how many of you will follow me on it. Um, I, I really don't, I don't love this idea of this trucker convoy. It, it, it makes me uneasy, um, especially now. Right. I mean, Biden is and, and the Democrats in general are tanking in the polls. They're only going to go lower from here. You know, this is this is a game of limbo now. How low can you go? And they're going to go very, very low. Um, and that's kind of from a from a political standpoint. And a protest is a is a political it's a it's a political statement. And so there should be some political calculation that goes into any kind of protest. That's how you should be thinking about it. If you're not thinking of it in those terms, then you shouldn't be doing it. And so what exactly is the trucker protests going to potentially accomplish? Other than turning the attention to you in a potentially very negative way, depending on how it goes and what happens. All it would seem to, to potentially accomplish is just distracting from, uh, you know, from, from Biden, what a terrible job he's doing. And as far as mandates go, well, okay, this is a trucker convoy to end the mandates, but 
So if you're doing it a year ago, then I understand. But but what federal mandates are you even protesting now? The, the vast majority of the mandates are gone. So what, what federal man, mandates exactly are they protesting? Because they should be very specific. That's the other thing you need to be in a protest is specific about what exactly you're protesting and, and what you would like to see happen. So you have to, you have, to have an idea in mind of what victory looks like. What does it look like to win here? And I think very often there are protests and, and demonstrations where people don't think about that ahead of time. They don't think about what does a win look like to me. And so they just go and kind of do something and let the chips fall where they may. But uh, that, that, as we have seen, is, is often not the best strategy. So most of the man, federal mandates are gone or have been defeated in court. Um, there's still the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, which is a very bad thing. I mean, is, is that what this is specifically about? Um, and there's the federal mandate for public transportation. You have to wear masks on planes, which is also stupid. So is that is that it? But again, it does. It still raises the question of why? Why now? Why not a year ago? We've already seen. So we saw the trucker convoy. It already happened. This feels like a rehash of something that just happened um, when there's. Uh, but but with clear with less clear goals in mind, and then you're going to D.C. and it's well we're not shutting down traffic, but we might maybe we'll create a massive gridlock and but we we don't all even agree on like why we're doing this. I'm telling you that is a disaster. That is a disaster to go into D.C. around the State of the Union and potentially maybe I mean there's again it's. It, it doesn't seem to, everyone doesn't seem to be on the same page, but potentially create massive gridlock and a huge inconvenience for everybody in the city without being able to, in a unified way, even explain why you're doing it or what you want to see happen. That is a recipe to turn all the backlash against you, distracting from Joe Biden and what a terrible job he's doing. I mean, I, I don't think when I when I think of the uh, how Democrats in Congress and the administration, how they're looking at this, I doubt that they're sitting there, you know, uh, biting their fingernails, nervous and saying, oh, I, I, I hope I wish they weren't coming. I, I think they're probably pretty happy about this. That you're going to come and create a big distraction and make it about you. That sounds good to us. Gets the heat off us for a little bit. And always with the potential for things to go very, very bad. I mean, we don't have to, probably don't have to remind you of January 6th. That was another massive demonstration where it was never exactly clear what the end goal was. And the next thing you know, you had people going into the Capitol. And certainly there was no idea. They, they had no idea why they were doing it or, or, or what, what victory was supposed to look like here. They just were kind of like doing something. And, uh, and I look at this and I think uh, it makes me uneasy for that reason. Also, the potential, you have to think about these things. For people to infiltrate this and, you know, uh, kind of try to turn it against you from the inside. The, way to, the ways that people can kind of manipulate the optics of this thing, I, I just, I don't like it. Here's what I would say. If, you know, truckers are in a position where they can make a huge difference. 
And the fact that they're willing to sacrifice and make a difference, I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for that. So um, I, I would say at this point, if you have specific goals in mind, something that you want to see happen, something you're pushing for, I think a trucker strike across the country would be much more effective. Because best case scenario with another convoy, which I think most people are going to look at that and kind of yawn and say, eh, we just saw this, right? Um, the best case scenario is that you're there and you kind of make a, you make a stink for a little bit, and, and then, but then you're dispersed and you go home. That's like best case scenario and nothing terrible happens. Nothing is really achieved, though. Um, I think a strike, on the other hand, now you really want to impose your will in a peaceful way. Uh, that's how you do it, I would think. All right. Let's go to this uh, briefly. Sarah Jones is a writer for New York Magazine, and uh, she wrote an an article titled Household Tyrants. And uh, she wrote in her caption to the article, I wrote about the parental rights push and its relationship to the GOP's authoritarian view of power. And she says, conservatives imagine the parent as a household tyrant. Their rights both supersede and are in conflict with the rights of the child. Key to this is the parent's role as a local enforcer of the GOP's national agenda. Okay, a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, obviously, she's not worried about the, the rights of the child at all. That is not her concern. Her concern is entirely the rights of the state, the right of the government to interfere in the family. Her concern is the right of the, of the, the state to come between the child and the parent. That's what she cares about. She doesn't give a damn about the rights of a child. To begin with, if you're pro-abortion, you are in no position to ever talk about the rights of a child. Because in your view, a child at a certain stage in development has zero rights and zero moral worth, has no, is, is, is uh, owed no legal protection whatsoever in your view. And now you want to talk about the rights of a child. So that's the first thing we always have to establish is that this is a bad faith argument it's a, it's a dishonest argument. She doesn't really care about the rights of a child. Once we've established that, we can also uh, note the fact that, well, you know, she's scandalized by the idea that the rights of the parent would come before the rights of the child. But of course, the rights of the parent supersede the rights of the child. Obviously. That's the case um, legally. In that adults have lots of legal rights that children don't have. And it's also the, it's also the case uh, in each individual family, if the family is properly ordered. In my home, you know, my home is not a democracy. You, you can't run a, a family that way. That's a recipe for chaos in your family. And it's chaos that... Um, will hurt the the child most of all, because what the child needs is a properly ordered family with with peace and security at home and stability. That's what the kid needs. And you don't achieve that by giving the child an equal voice in the family. Everything you do, you put it up for a vote. And the views and opinions of your four-year-old uh, way equally against your opinions as, as an adult and the person running the family, the person who earns all the money and provides everything. Um, that's, that's, that's not a recipe for, for anything good for the child. 
what you're doing there actually is you're setting, and this is another another one of the goals of uh, of the left is they want to they want the state to come between the parent and the child, but they also want to set each individual family member against each other, sort of in uh, in competition. And that's that's what you're you're doing here when there's not when there isn't a a sense of proper order. Now it's a, just a constant competition between uh, the child and the, the father and and. And, and father and mother are also in competition, and everybody's sort of vying for power in this kind of Machiavellian way. Uh, but that's not how the, a family is supposed to be run. So in my family, uh, no, my, my kids do not have equal say in, in what happens in the house. Far from it. Uh, they oftentimes, depending on what it is, have get no vote at all, very often. And my wife and I have the right to do lots of things that our kids cannot do. Just one example, uh, we can stay up as late as we want. We might, have, we might pay the price the next day, but we can do My kids, they have a bedtime. And sometimes my kids will say to me, that's not fair, why do you get to stay up? Because we're the adults and you're the child, and this is how it works. But along with having those rights, it also means that you have, because the, the, the flip side of the coin, of the rights coin, when you flip the coin over, you find responsibilities. Responsibilities always come tied with rights. When you try to remove res- the responsibility dimension from rights, you get again chaos, which is what we're seeing in our in our country. Um, so while we have many rights that the child that our children don't, we also have many responsibilities that they don't, which would be basically all of the res- all of the serious responsibilities ultimately fall to us. So that's how a family's supposed to work. But th- this is also what you get when you have a lot of childless people pontificating about the family and how families are supposed to operate when they obviously have no experience with it and no idea. Let's get now to the comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix midnight mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com dailywire, code HELIXPARTNER20. Dailywire.com slash uh, sweet baby comments. Let's go to clip eight. Computer, what is a woman? As a noun, woman can have a few meanings. One, the female human being, 
as distinguished from a girl or a man. 2. An adult female person. 3. A female attendant to a lady of rank. 4. A wife. Computer. What is a human female? According to Wikipedia, a woman is an adult female human. Prior to adulthood, a female human is referred to as a girl. The plural women is sometimes used in certain phrases such as women's rights to denote female humans regardless of age. Typically, women have two X chromosomes and are capable of pregnancy and giving birth from puberty until menopause. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy to help. Computer. I'm straight. Thanks for telling me. Computer. I'm gay. Thanks for telling me. Wow. Is that, which one is that? Is that Alexa? That's Alexa. Alexa is a transphobe. That's very disturbing to find out. And, and also homophobic. I mean, you could, you can come out to Alexa, uh, which is obviously, you know, that's, that's the first thing you should do when you're, you're coming out first to, to let all your computer systems know. Um, update them on the news. And all she says is, thanks for telling me dismissively. Very disappointing. Very disappointed in Alexa. Okay, Jay Stas says, first, uh, Matt said that narcissism was the biggest problem in our society. Then he said it was cowardice that was the biggest problem. So which is it, narcissism or cowardice? Uh, the answer, Jay, is yes. That's the answer, yes. Charles says, Matt, I guess you never learned anything in history class because there are great examples in history of people like just like Vladimir Putin that people like you before World War II started uh, that chose to ignore the problem. It's almost like people like yourself are not going to be happy unless we do repeat our history. Good luck with that effort. By the way, Matt, war with Russia might just happen if you want it or not. Well, I agree with your last statement anyway. It might happen whether I want it or not, and I certainly don't. Um, the only thing I'll say, a couple things, Charles. Uh, first of all, not everything in history is analogous. Not, not everything that happens is analogous with World War II, okay? Uh, I know that's what we learn on the internet is that everything that occurs is just like World War II. And if you're on, if, if you stand against the prevailing opinion about any situation or occurrence, then you are taking the side of the bad guys in World War II. That's the lesson from the internet, but it's not a lesson that we should take to heart because it's not true. But also, there's this, here's what I'm trying to figure out, Charles. Maybe you can help me out with this. Because I'm being told, and I don't know if you would say this or not, but I, I, I have heard this bit about, oh, it's just like World War II, Putin, Putin is, is Hitler, and if we ignore it, then it's like ignoring Hitler in the early going. So I, I've heard that a lot. But also, the same people saying that are the ones breathlessly insisting that Oh, uh, they don't want to send any troops in. They, they don't, of course, they don't support sending troops in to fight Russia. So wait, wait a second. But wh which is it? Because if this is just like World War II, and Putin is just like Hitler, and it's the same kind of thing, then wouldn't you support sending troops in? I assume you supported sending troops into World War II. So, so which is it? On one hand, you you are describing this in a way that would um, seem to justify sending troops in. But then on the other hand, you're claiming that you don't want to send troops in. This is what I don't understand. And this also makes me uneasy. 
because you've got one side of this discussion where it, it does not seem to me that they're being honest. What I would predict is that, you know, I'd give it two weeks, but it might be more like two days. Sometime in the near future, all of the people, you could take screenshots of all the tweets and everything. You see people saying, oh, of course, I'm not supporting sending troops in. Almost all of them in short order will be saying, oh, yeah, let's send the troops in. And if you listen to what they're saying, you, you, you put the denials aside right now and listen to everything else they're saying, especially these World War II and Hitler comparisons. Uh, it's, it's obvious already that that's basically what they're calling for without saying it. And maybe they don't want to say it yet because they know that um, it's just the ground has not been prepared for it quite yet. So they want to prepare the ground and then they'll start sprinkling the seeds of, uh, of you know, actually getting involved in World War III. But I am, um, I'm going to say consistent on this. You know, I, I, to get troops involved in this conflict for Ukraine would be, it would be disastrous for us on a scale that you, I don't even think we can imagine how bad it could get for us to do that. But I am, I am sitting here anticipating, I know it's going to happen soon enough. Mark my words. Soon enough, you're going to start hearing these people explicitly saying, let's send the troops in. Um, and finally, Anthony says, hey, Matt, what's your favorite Liam Neeson murder slash revenge movie? Uh, I love them all because, because they're all like, like exactly the same. And it's pretty much the same story over and over again. And uh, it's, it's always a family member that's you know, either been kidnapped and has to be rescued or they've already been killed. And now it's a revenge thing. And so it's kind of like comfort food. It's, it's why I like old-fashioned Westerns and why I don't like a lot of the new Westerns. Because in the old Westerns, it's, it's basically, there's, there's like three basic Western stories. And then you just get different versions of the same story. And that's the appeal. That's the charm. Uh, and so the same thing with Liam Neeson. But what's the best one? I don't think there's any argument. It's, it's obviously going to be the original Taken, which I think is not only the best Liam Neeson movie, but probably one of the best action movies of the last 30 years. America uh, supported Ukraine's move to hand over its nukes in 1994 under a promise for Russia not to evade. And look what happened. It seems that we're not to be trusted either. That's why it's more important than ever to understand just how insidious these foreign threats are within our own country. And we have just the way for you to do it. Our new show, The Enemy Within, is a docuseries featuring acclaimed journalist and expert in national threats, Lee Smith. Smith uncovers a political coup orchestrated by America's ruling class to generate their own wealth and power in exchange for the slow rise of China's Communist Party in America at the expense of the American people's safety and freedom. In the third episode, Lee uncovers the infiltration of America's universities by Chinese spies, students affiliated with the CCP, and American professors who've sold their allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party for bribes. You can see a little bit of that in the trailer here. What if everything we think we know about our leaders, our society, and our relations with the rest of the world is wrong? America is facing two major challenges. One is the Chinese Communist Party. However, the most significant threat comes from within. You're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. We've already seen evidence of how the elites want to run the United States. They're modeling themselves after Chinese autocracy. For over a decade, the People's Republic of China has stood publicly accused of acts of cruelty and wickedness that match the cruelty and wickedness of 
medieval torturers and executioners. Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. We're not talking about one person infiltrating senior levels at the CIA or the White House. We're talking about an entire elite class throughout the political, corporate, academic, cultural, and media establishment. My name is Lee Smith. I've been a journalist for more than 30 years. This is the most astonishing espionage and infiltration operation in history. What you're going to see in this series will shock you. This is The Enemy Within. All episodes of The Enemy Within are streaming now exclusively at The Daily Wire. So if you're not a member, now's the time to change it. Head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join us today. And while you're there, if you if you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall for conversations that don't take place on screen, uh, now's your chance. In Ben Shapiro's new show, The Search, you'll join him and his closest friends as they head to Ben's favorite local spots to dive into some deep conversations that you often don't get to hear when the camera uh, when the camera's rolling. His his first guest was the great Jordan Peterson, and the second episode of The Search will feature his other very good friend, highly lauded historian Niall Ferguson. It's an excellent conversation, and I highly recommend you check it out. The episode releases tonight, Thursday the 24th, and will be exclusive to Daily Wire members, so if you're not currently a member, head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join today. And finally, as the beloved author of the best-selling children's LGBTQ plus book, Johnny the Walrus, uh, as you know, I'm an important voice in the transgender conversation, in the in the LGBT conversation broadly. It's why I was invited to Dr. Phil to discuss these important issues as a noted expert. The other experts on the panel, you know, apparently were not experts. I couldn't even answer what a woman was. You can check that out if you haven't seen those clips yet. Even more importantly, if you haven't picked up a copy of my best-selling children's book, you should do so immediately. It sold out in 48 hours when it was released. But don't worry, more copies are on the way. You can reserve Johnny the Walrus now on Amazon or go to johnnythewalrus.com. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, we're quite used to hearing insane things from the body positivity camp, but yesterday a body positivity activist and fat acceptance activist named Monica Crete upped the ante considerably on her social media accounts, which have all now been set to private. Crete calls herself a writer, consultant, educator fighting weight stigma in public health and medicine. She also hosts seminars on the topic of being fat, Unfortunately, you missed the most recent one, hosted alongside activist Mikey Mercedes, who is a woman, by the way. Although I didn't have to tell you that she's a woman because the body positivity people are always women. Can you remember the last time you saw a man's fatness celebrated? When's the last time one of these body positivity fat people was, was a man? It, it like never happens. Because you're still allowed to fat shame men. It's specifically women who have the right to balloon to whatever size they please without any criticism from anybody. So anyway, the seminar was titled... Fat phobia in public health, and was specifically meant for weight-inclusive dietitians. Of course, the term weight-inclusive dietitian is a bit like the term cancer-inclusive oncologist or cockroach-inclusive pest control. You can't include, that is, support and celebrate the very thing your job requires you to treat and destroy. So there are many such contradictions uh, in the world of the body positivity activists, many absurdities. And they all culminate in this tweet from Monica. She wrote, quote, periodic reminder that treating and preventing obesity actually means trying to conversion therapy fat people into becoming thin people, despite zero evidence that this is remotely possible. 
You heard that right. Monica, the consultant and educator, says that dieting is a form of conversion therapy, and moreover, that there is zero evidence that dieting actually makes anyone skinnier. Monica believes, or wants you to believe anyway, that caloric intake actually has nothing at all to do with weight. What about all the millions of people who have managed to drop weight by limiting calories? Well, they're all mythological. They don't exist. If you're one of those people, you don't exist. I'm sorry to say. Or else you're part of a grand fat-phobic conspiracy. A conspiracy which, which includes almost every doctor and nutritionist in the world, by the way. And what, what about the fact that starving people always tend to be very skinny? So that's a coincidence. And the fact that obesity is only common in Western countries where people eat a lot of food and hardly move. What about the almost complete absence of obesity in the third world? For that matter, what about the fact that our skeletons and internal organs literally were not made to carry the kind of weight that Monica and her fellow fat activists are forcing their skeletons and organs to carry? That's why fat people die young. That's why there are no morbidly obese 85-year-olds. Your, your, your body at that age just can't, can't handle it. It can't, it can't carry all that weight around anymore. What about that? Don't all of these facts point incontrovertibly to the notion that you get fat when you eat a lot and get skinny when you eat less? No, says Monica. Don't ask her to explain herself either. It makes her feel good to see the world the way she sees it. And your job is to enforce whatever perception of the world and herself makes her feel good. That's your sacred responsibility because she says so. Now, as crazy as all of this is, the most revealing aspect is the way that she uses the term fat people and skinny people. Now, she doesn't mean fat and skinny as a mere description of a transient physical trait. What she said, when she says fat people, she does not mean people who happen to have an unhealthy amount of lard on their bodies. No, for her, fat is an immutable and defining characteristic. It's, it's an identity. It's who she is deep inside. It's her, her very soul is fat. Fatness is an identity. I tell you, we're only months away since I'm making predictions today on the show. I can also tell you this. We're only months away from somebody coming up with a special pronouns for fat people, which will give a whole new meaning to the term trans fat. And I'm not joking about the pronouns. In our culture, the special pronoun, it's how you affirm and consecrate an identity. It's like a baptism. And the good thing is that the blessed pronouns, though they are supposed to have this mystical significance, can change any time. So just for fun, let's look at another example of this phenomenon. Dipping into the TikTok well with the help of our friend Libs of TikTok, TikTok, who found this one. Um, here's a woman announcing her new pronouns. Listen to this. Hey guys, so I think it's finally time for an update on my gender series. I'm not going to lie, I have no idea what part this is, but let's go. Okay, first off, um, I am now just going by K now. Um, I no longer like to be called Kayla um, unless it's for work, uh, just because it's kind of confusing with the paperwork and stuff. So yeah, I also am now using all pronouns instead of none. Um, I don't regret not going by any pronouns before, but I do feel that I, it just makes, I don't know, it just, that's what's happening. Another thing though, I am still xenogender, um, I still, that is still my gender that I identify with, and I am still bisexual, so those things have not changed at all. So yeah, that's just a little quick update, um, that I have for y'all, and I don't know. Uh, just let me know if you have any questions. Um, I'd love to answer them. Okay, make sure to update your scoreboard uh, now. Uh, Kayla is now K. She's still xenogender, whatever that is, but uh, she went from no pronouns to all pronouns. 
Uh, that's 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 the update. Now, how, how could she have had no pronouns before? Did she not exist? Was she some kind of phantom or something? And how could she go by all pronouns now? What does she really mean? All pronouns, even like it. Can I call her an it? I suppose so. She is a man, a woman, a thing, a nothing, and everything. She is all things and no things. She transcends time and space. She's like some sort of pantheistic deity. And you better not so much as suggest otherwise, because your job again is to affirm. As we've learned, to do anything less than affirm, to express even mild disagreement with a person's self-perception, is to engage in conversion therapy. And conversion therapy is the ultimate sin because it's an attack on a person's self-identity, which is to say that it's an attack on their entire world, on their reality. Because they recognize no world or reality aside from the one they've created in their heads. Now, I want to get a little bit more philosophical here. So let's bring together fat acceptance stuff, pronouns, uh, hysteria about conversion therapy, and, and all the rest of it. What's, what's really going on? I think what's happening is that, is that we are conscious beings to begin with. Um, we are aware of ourselves, aware of our own fragility and impermanence. And as far as we know, we're the only creatures in the universe cursed with such an awareness. So we find ourselves floating in this vast ocean of existence, wondering about the reason and the purpose for it all. We came from non-existence and will fade back into the abyss from which we came, at least physically. And we, we know all of that. The only way to survive is to reach out for an anchor point, you know, something stable. Try to find an island to rest on. Because we can't be conscious beings floating along with no purpose and yet aware of it the whole time. We can't do that indefinitely. There's just no way to live. You can't live that way. People who try to live that way end up not living for very long. The problem that we face in the West is that we had an anchor, we had an island, but we abandoned it. We gave up on God, on religion, which was our source of identity, our our sense of purpose, our solid ground. We decided that it wasn't good enough for us, so we jumped back into the sea with no real idea of where else to go instead. So now we're adrift, aimless and meandering, and totally susceptible to any storm that comes along. We have no shelter from it, no escape from the crashing waves. What we're witnessing with the proliferation of gender identities, the pronoun madness, the fat acceptance stuff, are a bunch of drowning adrift people reaching out for anchors, for little islands, for some kind of stability and identity, having traded in the one true source of stability and identity available to us. But these anchors aren't really anchors because they're not anchored in anything. They don't go all the way down to the seafloor. The islands are just driftwood at best. They don't provide the sense of purpose and belonging and worth that these people want from them, which is why they're always trading them out for something else. But really, they're still lost in the sea, hopeless and alone. So I guess it's a good thing that fat people are more buoyant, on second thought. I had a good philosophical thing going there. I I ruined it with a fat joke. I should have done that, but I did. In any case, the point is, Monica Crete, the fat acceptance activist, is today canceled. I will leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. 
Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Putin launches a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. A Texas middle school teacher says conservative Christians should die of COVID. And the U.S. immigrant population reaches an all-time high. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. 